well, we need to be objective and data-driven to reduce like biases, or we need to be data-driven to increase accuracy. Like both of those are obviously true, but the fact that the candidate experience can increase as well. I mean, I think the example that you give with being able to give fair and clear and transparent feedback is just like such a good point. Welcome to How We Hire, a podcast by Alva Labs, with me, Tove Handel, and me, Linnea Bivalk. This show is for all of you who hire or just find recruitment interesting. Every episode, we will speak to thought leaders from across the globe to learn from their experiences and best practice within hiring, building teams, and growing organizations. Welcome to another episode of How We Hire with me, Tove, Events and Community Manager at Alva Labs. And me, Linnea, Head of People here at Alva. Our guest on today's episode is Milena Carlson. Milena has a long and solid background within talent acquisition and human resources, which she's been head of both areas in several fast-growing organizations. She's in the forefront when it comes to staying true to the research through all her work, and she's currently revamping the people and recruitment processes at proposal tool company ProposeSales in her role as head of people and talents. Welcome to How We Hire, Milena. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. We're so happy to have you here. And in today's episode, we will focus on data-driven recruitment. Now, this is something that me and Lenny are very passionate about. It's something you're very passionate about, Milena. But before anything else, what is data-driven recruitment? How would you describe this just so that we have kind of your perception of data-driven recruitment? Interesting question. What is data-driven uh, recruitment? I mean, data-driven recruitment is everything to me. I believe this is uh, in the direction the hiring process needs to evolve, in my opinion, having been uh, uh, seeing how things have evolved and how business is changing in general. I think this is really the direction uh, uh, businesses need to take in terms of making the right hiring decisions. But if I then try to define it, I would say it's the use of tangible tangible facts and stats to make more informed hiring decisions. I think that that is as simple as I can put it. Mm. And Linnea, do you agree with this? Is there anything you want to add to this description of data-driven recruitment? No, I think that's a great description. I think it's about being able to combine different methods in a way that isn't just relying on gut feeling. And I mean, to your point, Melina, this is where most organizations will need to head. Uh, and I think it's so interesting that we're not there yet. Because I think if you, if I may take an example, say that you're like head of marketing and you know from the data that your webinars are performing really, really bad, but you really like webinars. So you're going to, you know, pour all of the marketing budgets into webinars anyway. Like that's how recruitment is done in a lot of places where uh, the data tells us something or we don't even have data, but we're going to not trust it and go with our instinct instead. And we know from research that that's not necessarily a good thing. So I think we need to use data-driven recruitment to a much greater extent than we are right now. So uh, just... Um, echo on the uh, description of what it is. 
Wow. And I, if I can just uh, uh, interject something there, I mean, you really stole my example because oh, yeah, sorry, example <laughs> I use as well, because I think in terms of like penetrating this way of, of, of thinking and reasoning and really largely basing everything on gut feelings, like we don't do that in other departments. We, why are we, why is it so obvious for us that we are taking a data driven approach when we are looking at marketing as an example, but nevertheless in recruitment, we think like, mm, no, this doesn't sit right with me because my gut feeling or my preconceived notions are telling me something else. It's something that I cannot grasp why we are stuck in that. So uh, excellent example and something that I, I typically also use to, to make my point, which kind of gives that, wow, yeah, I didn't think of it like that. But now we kind of have to ask the question, why is it like this then? That is a good question. I mean, I think it's a matter of uh, having like being set a little bit in old ways of working. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it, it's not like before we introduced like a data driven uh, mindset in recruitment that we were failing miserably. But I think that also we could have done much, much better. And uh, uh, just looking over my career and, and the mistakes and errors that I have done and people around me have done kind of learn from those and then see what can we do to further enhance and and I think like looking at those uh, scenarios you can really start to pinpoint like when you are staring away from being neutral in terms of the reasons for why we reject someone or why we hire someone, then the further away we are from actually grasping uh, who would be the right fit for the role, right? I think it's just like a, a, a something comforting and something we've always done and that, therefore it's hard to stay away from it. I can really echo that, but I still find it interesting because it feels like, you know, sales you would never run like your sales playbook not based on like the data you have. So to some extent, I think it's also about like there haven't been enough like tools around that have been like driving the change to data driven recruitment. There hasn't been like the tradition of like working that way. But I also think, and like maybe we've already touched on this before in other episodes, but like the feedback loop from recruitment is so long so that you like the sense of urgency to improve is really hard to get, right? So like when you hire someone, they have like a, a notice period and then they join and then they're newbies. And, you know, once they're onboarded, it's been like nine months since you hired them and you've hired several people since then. So there's no really like feedback loop into really understanding what I did back then impacted what's now happening. Because uh, it's to some extent, I think recruitment is too isolated an organization um, and therefore don't have to kind of live with the results to the same extent. I, I might be wrong, but I think it can play a part in this where you don't you aren't forced to evolve your processes in the same at the same tempo and same speed as, say, marketing, as say sales, where you have much more direct feedback. I have to agree with you. I think it's so much easier to measure the results in sales or in marketing. And uh, it's so much quicker to see when it's a, a black hole uh, of not working, whereas you can, I guess, hide in terms of are we having a high performing uh, person that is the right fit for the job? I mean, it can take longer to kind of unveil that. Also based on a lot of things and leadership ways in this as well and how you're handling onboarding and so on. There's so many elements, but I think... Uh, um, it's harder to come to that conclusion if you're not working with the right tools and the right skill sets. I mean, you have been working with data-driven recruitment, HR in general, uh, talent. 
how did you realize like this was the way that you wanted to work? I think it's hard to pinpoint an exact moment in time, but I believe that the journey started already some 10 years ago because I had started to get my first experience in working with recruitment. And then I was honored of heading up my own recruitment division in a recruitment company. And uh, uh, I ended up craving reasonable reasons for needing to reject candidates that I would have qualified and thought would be they are super for the job. So why are you rejecting? What are they based on? I think that uh, that is one aspect of it. And then I've also, as I mentioned, uh, uh, I've seen uh, the data-driven approach like slowly increasing in all types of business decision makings. Um, but in recruitment, we seem to desperately want to cling on to the old ways of working. And I think you're right to the point of we haven't necessarily had the tools in order to do this in a good way. So uh, I'm, of course, very, very happy to see that things are, are evolving in uh, quite rapidly in that area as well. I mean, you already uh, used my example there of, of the marketing department, right, where it's obvious. I think it just started to realize, like, why is it so obvious that we use data to back up our decisions, but we're not in recruitment to the same extent? So, Really, the more I involve myself in hiring and recruiting, the more I realize that uh, it's so full of all these emotional decisions. Just looking at an example that I, I came across in my career is a person's inability to do their job based on their appearance. I mean, how on earth is it possible to know if a person will do uh, a good job based on how they look or dress? I came to the conclusion that it's, it's time that we change this. And that's really what I think over the years have been triggering me to uh, take this approach so I can also back up the reasons why you are not a fit. And out of respect for the candidates that are also investing their time and efforts into applying and going for interviews and explaining, pouring their hearts out in terms of uh, what they have done and why they would be a good fit for the role, to be respectful of that as well. I love the fact that you're coming from it from a candidate experience perspective, because I think it's so easy that the discussion will be, I mean, not that that's not relevant, but the discussion will be around like, well, we need to be objective and data-driven to reduce like biases, or we need to be data-driven to increase accuracy. Like both of those are obviously true, but the fact that the candidate experience can increase as well. I mean, I think the example that you give with being able to give fair and clear and transparent feedback is just like such a good point. Okay, so you learn to love it. How have you gone about like implementing this way of thinking and working into the places that where, where you have been in charge? It has not been an easy journey. Uh, like I mentioned before, a lot of people seem to take comfort in the old ways of working and sticking to their gut feeling and, and being comfortable in that. And I think also pointing out how filled with bias a gut feeling approach to hire is, is not really going to make people jump for joy and, and wanting to jump ship. They would rather take it as, okay, you're personally critiquing my style. So I think the approach that I have taken in terms of, of sneaking this in uh, is, is really to roll it out in, in small improvements over time. So it could have started with having a competency-based approach in terms of the questions that we're asking, introducing scorecards to make sure we have 
like a same way of evaluating the the candidates and uh, yeah just really like trying to back my cases up with uh, uh, data and also having a scientific approach in terms of what does uh, scientific research say about this and really showing those facts and numbers and uh, also pointing out what the cost for wrong hires is and looking at the staff turnover during for instance during probation it kind of like really how shall I say nailing that uh, faulty link and the connections that I see associated with how the processes looked like before and what needs to be improved and really offer a solution to mitigate the hiring challenge uh, uh, that I would have seen so there's one thing in in terms of winning over someone like yeah we need to introduce this tool this is a good way of going about it but then it also needs to be implemented and kind of approved and adopted by the hiring managers that you're working with and uh, I've had my fair share of skeptics there as well but uh, I think over time with uh, giving it a shot and then ending up really showing like solid results following up on performance of the new hires and showing them the numbers which are improving retention is higher and uh, uh, of course the hiring managers seeing that the performance is is in alignment with, with what they want it to be they have come to realize uh, the the benefits and really embraced the new ways of working just to showcase one example like in my previous job i uh, set out to improve the the hiring process the overall process and also decrease uh, the, the term, uh, termination during probation because we saw that that was sneaking up on us as a, as a little bit of a of an issue after then having a full year of working with a non-biased and structured recruitment process we literally uh, eliminated all the signs of uh, of uh, termination from both ends uh, during probation and uh, i mean we've used tools for that of course to help us be stay neutral and uh, we've also improved the overall process and improved quality of questions and improved uh, the level of competence that the hiring managers have when they go in in the interview process as well so um, yeah that has really been my way of uh, of introducing it and then slowly like bit by bit it's hard to chew if you roll out a full full scale plan so i think you need to do it in uh, in stages really I have so many follow-up questions. If someone is like completely new to this, what are like the, I don't know, three, five, ten things, I don't know how many you have, that are on the list of what you've snuck in? Definitely making sure that we have like a very, very good, what we call the startup call. So really having an interview to interview the hiring manager in terms of what it is you're looking for, really like scoping that up in, in detail to have, a, have an understanding and the discussing around what is realistic and what is not. So we have the framework set. This is what we're looking for. These are the terms uh, that we can offer, etc. So that has been really kind of the stepping stone and some Investing in that work has really shown to to uh, improve the quality of the process and the quality of the candidates. I think this is so relevant and everyone says it, but it's also vague what you actually do in those startup calls. So like, what's your best questions to ask a hiring manager? Good question. So, I mean, what are you looking for? And that is a vague question, but breaking that down, what does that mean in skills? What are the expectations? Uh, what will they be measured on? What type of skill sets do they need to possess in terms of doing this job? Also challenging, like who would you see as your dream candidate if you have one or someone that we would use as a kind of guiding principle? Why is that? And what else is important in terms of like building um 
a complementary uh, skill set into the org or the team that, that's already in there. I think those have been the fundamental questions uh, um, and also aligning expectation. When do you need to have this person on board? Where do you think we can find them and so on? You have a clear startup meeting. What else is on the sneaking in stuff list? Well, we've also done a little bit of training in terms of the benefits uh, of having a competence-based interview technique and why. So we're not walking in winging it and what uh, what the pitfalls can be in that. And then also um, using scorecards to evaluate. And then, of course, tools such as Alma Labs in terms of helping helping us screen for potential. And that has been a challenge in itself as well in terms of really showcasing uh, what the benefits are of working with potential as opposed to staring yourself blind on a CV and number of years of experience. Because as we all know in this room, that doesn't really say a lot. Okay, so it sounds like introducing like structured interviews and training in that and I'm have you also like helped the manager design questions or how have you gone about nailing the interviews I had the luxury of working with uh, dedicated TAs so they could drive a lot of the initial conversations and like the first screenings and that was of course done in a, in in an anonymous way but uh, yes we have also helped uh, hiring managers uh, in terms of building that relationship so they feel the trust that they can come and talk to us and ask for advice if they need it because not everyone is an expert on hiring and it's an art in itself looking for the right things and making sure that you can capture that in this one hour call so yeah we have been helping them as well in terms of setting up relevant questions and and really challenging what it is you're looking for and what type of questions you should ask so startup meeting interview like scorecard i'm assuming that means like rating the answers of the interview in some way Yes, sometimes you might have the luxury of ending up with a lot of good candidates. And then you need to, again, it's so easy, even if you've done a structured interview, again, moving into basing it on a gut feeling like, yeah, this person was more bubbly in the call and this person was not as elaborate in the answers. And, uh, oh, this person ended up a couple of minutes late to the call. All of these things start having an impact in terms of evaluating the candidate. So really steering away from that and looking at like how do you rate the competences in terms of the questions you have asked and really trying to stack up the person that is uh, scoring the the highest in in terms of the things that are most important to us and then you mentioned like psychometric assessments because you said that like it hasn't always been easy to show that that's a help and need to have how have you gone about doing that really like I've done with most cases in terms of taking a data-driven approach, it's really showcasing the numbers. It has started from, I think, like, I see that we are heading in the wrong direction here. Uh, We're having high staff turnover or we're not really generating the right candidates. We're not happy with the hires that we have. For what reasons? Well, we're not seeing that they are matching uh, the expectations that we have. I mean, it's really been looking at these type of aspects. But then when it comes to introducing this, it's just showing the hardcore numbers. Like we have these results. We're having a hard time uh, uh, driving candidates. apparently they don't they're not the candidates that we're looking for so we need to do something and uh, uh, 
also, of course, uh, really uh, pushing hard on the fact that we need to do something different and opening our eyes. So instead of having bias in terms of how we screen, looking at the CVs, disqualifying because that didn't look good for some reason, and then going over to the next, instead just having everyone have an equal opportunity in terms of looking at uh, probability to be a good fit for the role. So it's really been about kind of flipping everything, having like a neutral basis for how we evaluate because we, we've we clearly skipped a lot of superstars uh, in the making uh, that we simply have screened uh, uh, or, or eliminated in the screening process because we have not been open to measuring and looking at the potential. So that was definitely an eye-opener. I love the the meta perspective of using data to showcase why data-driven recruitment uh, Yeah, I mean, facts <laughs> don't lie, right? And uh, right. neither does data. So uh, it's the perfect uh, thing to bring into any argument. Uh, you can't argue with facts. So yeah. yeah. That's how you win. <laughs> now you've counted up like individual things that you've done to improve like on the data-driven recruitment and how to work in more data-driven way. But it feels like one of the foundations is to have the overall structure. So have like having a good applicant tracking system, has that also been important or have you managed to do this in some other way? If I look early on when I started my career working with recruitment, I literally had an inbox of influx in a very unstructured way. So I have to say I've really made the journey of of having a structured way of dealing with candidates coming in through an email, uh, really to onboarding like a solid ATS uh, where you can have good application tracking and really following up and making sure that you are you're catching uh, any type of feedback or response that you need to uh, need to get. I think it's important to have a good ATS to support this, especially if you're dealing with higher volumes of uh, of recruitment to that point like structure and data-driven recruitment go so much hand in hand in my book I do agree with you, Linnea, they do go hand in hand. And I think the benefits of having a, an ATS as well is that you can really follow up on, on the, the analytics part of actually looking at, at the numbers. What are they telling you? They're telling you a lot as well uh, there as well. So you can gather a lot of intel and then have a data-driven approach in terms of, of also improving the recruitment process if you need to and uh, uh, focus on where you need to source your candidates, where are, is the main traffic coming in from and why? And, and uh, also like making cost efficient decisions. So we're not just chucking a lot of money on, on, on certain things, as you were saying, like, uh, uh, let's spend all our money on webinars. Well, it's not generating anything to the business. Yeah, well, it's not sustainable. So you need to have that uh, cost aspect in mind as well. And I think that's a great point of being data-driven in like your employer branding work as well, right? So like knowing where to spend the resources to lure the candidates in into the process and then um, treat them in a like data-driven way. You mentioned like a lot of numbers where you looked at this number and then it improved and so forth. Like it, before we jump into like what the outcomes were of implementing a data-driven recruitment process, I would love to know like what numbers do you see as most important in TA in hiring? Most important. I mean, we have, of course, uh, the most overrated uh, KPI uh, of all times, in my opinion, and that is time to hire. Yes. I mean, it's by far the most popular thing Why? to measure. And I have been in the same. I've done it myself. I must uh, shamefully admit. And I think, I mean, just looking at uh, time to hire, I mean, it has zero 
correlation between how fast you hired someone and how good of an employee they are going to be or how good fit. None, really, really none. So, I mean, what are we measuring here, really? Why are we shouting that this is really important when it has no correlation? So I think time to hire is something I have slowly moved away from. I mean, it all depends, of course. Uh, if you are a TA team, you might you have specifics that you're tracking that is important, right? But I think something that I would really like to uh, uh, um, like uh, wave my flag in is like cost per quality, uh, which comes tightly uh, with cost per hire. I mean, cost per quality is such an un, un, uh, underrated KPI. How do you define cost per quality? It's really looking at, at the activities that you've been doing uh, in terms of what you would determine being a successful hire. So have you been running social marketing campaigns? Have you been headhunting? What sources have you been headhunting on? Uh, have you had a dedicated headhunter? Have you used an external agency? How much time and money? I mean, you can break this down. It might be a little bit cumbersome, but I think you need to start looking at breaking down the activities you've done and then put a price tag on that. And then and uh, uh, really converting that in terms of, okay, did we find the, the dream candidate or the, the superstar that we were looking for? Yes, we did. Okay, well, that was a solid investment then. Uh, can that be applicable in the next time we're looking for, for someone in another department, etc.? And I think, again, taking that data-driven approach in terms of making sure we're doing the right activities uh, that is really going to generate the result that we want to have. I am writing stuff down, learning <laughs> Uh, okay, so then you mentioned cost per hire. Why do you think that matters? Yeah, I mean, it goes a little bit hand in hand, but I, I would like to focus on cost per quality because that's really what we're after. I mean, I think we're all after uh, quality superstars uh, uh, to join our team or at least having the right person fit for the role. But I think in terms of, again, planning the activities and doing the right things, making sure that we are uh, a well-oiled machine uh, uh, focusing on the right activity that actually will be generating uh, results is important. And let's be honest, I mean, people, TA teams, they are considered a cost to the company. So we're never going to have that business revenue generating. Uh, woohoo! I think we really need to kind of prove ourselves a little bit more. That's at least only my opinion and, and, and my reflections. Uh, but since we are considered a cost, then I think um, it might be a little bit more challenging in terms of, of sometimes winning over uh, initiatives that we need to do. So I think really looking at, at having a, an efficient process that is as cost friendly as possible, or at least making sure that we are spending money on the right thing that is bringing good quality. And as a result, also ultimately revenue to the company. It's an important uh, uh, aspect to have in mind. Given that over the last couple of years, a lot of organizations have like brought home recruitment, uh, at least in like the Swedish market where it used to be external, now it's internal, which is really easy to show that it's cheaper. And now like I heard of some cases where some organizations are are flipping and like taking it external again. I think that's really interesting to your point of like needing to prove the value of um, what it brings. Like one more question on uh, metrics. What's your take on like quality per hire? Can it be done? Can it be measured? 
I think it takes a little bit longer to measure quality because you really need to onboard that person and you really need to come to a point where you see this this is a performing uh, uh, person in the role. So I think perhaps this is something that you need to do on a on a on a yearly rolling basis as opposed to having like short like month month or quarterly. But really, again, it's looking at evaluating the performance and of course setting the criteria again going back to that initial uh, conversation that we had with the hiring manager what are your expectations what will they be measured on what are you looking for specifically and uh, really looking at that okay how is this person performing in relation to that uh, would you say it's high medium is it low I mean really at the end of the day we want to have high performing so when we have come to the conclusion that this is a high performing person based on the set criteria then you can really start looking down at the cost aspect and breaking down the amount of time it took to hire and the initiatives, not necessarily of looking from a time to hire perspective, but really seeing like all the efforts and uh, that was put into it. And then at the same time, also being able to evaluate, could we have done something more efficient? Could we automate something? Could we outsource some part of this? It is really challenging because to some extent, it's like it is the holy grail of hiring, right? The way we have approached it, I'm not saying it solves everything and it's perfect, but it's a approach is that we, after three and five months into your onboarding, your manager rates how you're how you're doing against your like ramping targets. And that's actually something that the, like I measured on, like I show those numbers each month to my manager and to, to the organization. And that's what like our recruiters are measured on. Uh, so we try to get that feedback loop, even if it is quite far, like extended into the future when you do the hire, it's still, I want to drive the behaviors. Like your job isn't done until we know that it's a good, a good hire. I think, again, not perfect, but I think it's hopefully at least pointing us in the right direction. You talked a little bit about like what had improved and what had changed when you implemented data-driven recruitment. Do you want to highlight some that were that you're most proud of? The number one thing I'm most proud of is that we have more quality in in, in the process and the way uh, uh, respectful uh, uh, way of handling the candidates and also the fact that we we managed to eliminate all of the wrong hires uh, during the probationary period. So we, we really also saw like a boost in, in looking at the, the performance. I started also to see the tendency from a year on year basis that uh, performance was higher. So our high performers increased. Uh, so it was going from around, I think, like 40% and then going up to over 50 and then starting to reaching over 60. And I mean, we had solid, yeah, solid performing people, but we're talking about high performers now. So that was really amazing to see how that kind of was walking hand in hand, uh, along with the fact that we didn't make any, any wrong hires and they were onboarded as well in a good way. So every part in the chain of what we have done to improve, including the onboarding process and, and really making sure that we are, we're able to to get them up to speed uh, in a good way, that entire chain of starting from scoping out what we're wanting in terms of having an, uh, a high-performing person, that entire chain really, you could really see that uh, as, a, as a reflection in terms of how the high-performing uh, uh, people started to increase, which is 
fundamental because uh, working in such a fast pace and so many things happening, it was important uh, for us to have high performing uh, uh, people that could really live up to the pace uh, that we were running in. So that was fantastic to see and uh, uh, something I'm very proud uh, of, of having accomplished together with my my fantastic people team. That's absolutely incredible. Did you anticipate it to be that big of a difference? No, I didn't. I think I set kind of a, a, my hopes lower uh, in terms of us wanting to fix what we saw as becoming a little bit more of an immediate issue. And then just seeing how this kind of evolved in terms of all the improvements that we could take in every step of the process. It really exceeded my, my expectation and it was uh, such a joy to see. If we should really like try to make it as like concrete and actionable as possible for the listener like if you were to redo this journey what would be your first steps really looking at the relevant data i mean the fantastic thing about working with an ats and the fantastic thing about working with a uh, an uh, hris is is that you can get a lot of data and you can start looking and analyzing that so i think doing the journey all over i would be looking at the current process the data that is available can i spot any negative trends and then really try to um, improve the process uh, based on what it is we want to accomplish or what it is we want to improve and maybe things could also be great i mean they're working fine but then taking that aspect of okay what can we do to make it even better right how what can improve is there something we can automate uh is there um something that we can do to elevate things to, to to be even better and more efficient so i think that would be my approach uh really looking at what i have available and then start piecing the puzzle together what if you don't have data available i mean that could be the case right if you are really like new with this or if you haven't measured stuff properly before this like what what would be your approach then start small i think with anything start small you can't like conquer the whole world in one day right so if you don't have any data available if you're uh, stuck in a, a desperately dealing with an inbox that i did back in the days uh, then start small really looking at what can be done to improve you definitely need to adjust your actions and go based on what means you have and in what capacity you're working. But I think yeah, with anything, uh, you can start looking at huge plans in terms of what you want to roll out. But at the end of the day, what matters is doing it. So I think uh, having a, a goal in mind, what the end goal should be like and work step by step towards that, I think that is going to generate the best results in terms of what is possible to do. And also winning the skeptics over those people that are comfortable asking questions. Where do you see yourself in five years? Or uh, what do you enjoy doing in your spare time? Please send a cover letter with your application. I mean, these type of old school people, they need to be won over. So, And they will not be won over by changing everything from zero to 100. So really take it one step out of the time and be proud of what you have accomplished, what you accomplished along the way. And then you add another thing. And if I can, can add one thing that I think has helped me at least like structure my thoughts and how we talk about the process internally has been like when we do the startup meeting, we uh, try to fill out what we call like a combined role fit uh, spreadsheet. Meaning we, when we know what we're looking for, we design the process, we decide like, what method goes where, what do we evaluate and so forth. But then we also assign weights to each step 
meaning that we decide like, okay, the, the tests, they should weigh like 40%. And then the first interview, it should weigh 20% of the overall decision and, and so forth. So we include all the methods because if we then find ourselves with like, you know, the final four candidates, they have gone through the case. Uh, they're all great potential hires. We can kind of look at this like overall combined score where it's data driven down to the actual like decision making. Because I think it's so easy to be data driven in each step and then fail to kind of combine the data at the end where you like, oh, but I like this person. And then you're back in the, you know, marketeer loving webinars uh, example. So I think that's that would be my, my add on to kind of lock how you make decisions early on as well. Linnea, now you brought up something that most companies might miss. So they work data-driven, they focus on that, and then it's still something that they miss in the end. Miliana, would you say, is there anything else that companies risk missing out on when they start working in a data-driven way? That is a very, very interesting question. Uh, do I have an answer on it? That's that, that, that's, <laughs> that's another question. I think what I have seen, at least if I use my perspective, is that uh, in an effort to be uh, data-driven, we kind of fail to see the bigger picture. So really hear what Linnea was saying here earlier, like what is it that you want to accomplish? Of course, we want to have a, a fantastic candidate. And what steps should we take in terms of doing that? And what is relevant to based on data and facts? Most things, I guess, but I think it's about having that complete picture in an effort to be quick and wanting to turn things around and looking at the time to hire I think we have a tendency to kind of cut the corners and no, we don't need to do the test. I know this person from before. Well, even more so, it might be important to do the test. Stay neutral, stay away from the preconceived notions that you have. So really uh, having a holistic approach in terms of what you measure and uh, combining those, and then you take a decision based on that. I think that's a great perspective. And if I can add one thing that I I have a hunch can be a blocker when it comes to data-driven recruitment. It can be that, because I think a lot of recruiters are probably pretty well aware of these things, but I think that we sometimes overcomplicate things. Like, I think we need to keep like the internal user experience in mind. Like it's sometimes it's better if you have easy to use questions than like perfect questions or that you have, you know, an easy to use scorecard with just like green, yellow, red, rather than like, oh, it's one to 10 behavioral anchors, even if that's the best way, I think, what's your organization ready for? Like, as you said before, like start small. So like simplicity, I think is going to be key. It's time to run this conversation off. Thank you no, no, so much. much. It's what? time to go crunch numbers in your, oh. your HR analytics. It's time to go crunch numbers. It is. <laughs> for sure. But thank you so much for joining us, Milena. It's been such a pleasure having you with us. Milena, we'll be back with another inspiring episode of How We Hire in two weeks. Make sure to subscribe via Spotify or Apple Podcasts to never miss an episode. And think two weeks is too long. Make sure to check out avalabs.io for all of our webinars and training sessions as well. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.